So I'm going to share a few minutes on 10 and 11, and uh, Scott will spend some time on step 12. And by then, we should be uh, good to go and pretty much burned out and fried by now. So uh, Scott and I would like to thank you guys for hanging in there uh, with us um, through the afternoon and um, doing this journey with us. And uh, I get to talk a little bit here about step 10 um, experientially, step 11 experientially, um, and what it has done for me. A long time ago, I was told to work with words like turn, watch, aware, and observe. Turn, watch, aware, and observe. Over and over and over throughout my day, because my step 10 is how I'm doing throughout my day. Turn in in order to go out. Turn in in order to go out. Watch, aware, and observe. How's my speech? How's my language? Am I listening? Am I practicing pause? What's my thought life like? Do I have thoughts that are manifesting in my day? those kind of thoughts that you want to keep tucked away. How's that looking? And, um, you know, it isn't until the 11th step where we start to talk about, you know, um, proper use of the will versus managing my life. And um, as we're going from 10 into 11, they use those words. So what I want to read to you is this. It says, this thought in the beginning of step 10, brings us to step 10. This thought brings us to step 10. What thought are they talking about? As I'm cleaning up amends, and uh, in order to enter the world of the spirit, I'm in the process of cleaning up the wreckage of my past. How could I be present right now if I'm still driven by voices of the past? How could I move forward in abundance, hand in hand with God, if I'm still uh, uh, interpreting the world through the mind, which is always in the past anyway, or, or the future? So it's about being present and current, and um, defects of character will not keep me current. It will not allow me to operate out of the world of the spirit. My past, my unresolved amends will not allow me to operate out of spirit or being present because everything's hinging on stuff that I haven't completed yet. The, the circle around the triangle, if you want, is not complete and whole. It's got gaps in it. It still has old fears. It still has old resentments. It still has uh, remorse and guilt about, talked about he had to get to the airport and fix that stuff. Most of us have years. Well, I shouldn't say most of us. Some of us have years of stuff like that. And it becomes a, a, a callus on the soul. And we're wondering, how come I can't get in there? How come I can't just reach? How come I'm not feeling present? I have moments of it, but I don't live in the world of the spirit experientially can some of us give a talk on what it's like living in the world of the spirit. This is uncharted territory, by the way, world of the spirit. Even when I go through the work 20, 30 times, whatever it might be, each time I enter the world of the spirit, it is no man's land. It's the first time I've arrived there, whether it's the first time or the 50th time, because I'm experiencing new dimensions uh, uh, of God that I never had before, a deeper level, a deeper level of consciousness that I never experienced before. My beingness has been changed. But like the spiritual uh, transformation, there is no limit here. So just when I think I'm free, I'm getting freer. How free do I want to be? Do I want to get past where I currently am? Or am I satisfied with where I am and this is okay? So I go through the work and each time I enter the world of the spirit, as I'm cleaning up amends, if I have outstanding amends that I'm not addressing, have I really entered the world of the spirit? I'm just tricking myself. Because as I look at the shade, well, I'm in step 10, so I must be in the world of the spirit. Not necessary. That does not necessarily so. But as I clean up amends, it's kind of this, and, and I'm still seeking out people, we, we go to this place of step 10. And that's what this thought means. This thought brings us to step 10. Didn't go through yet, but we're at step 10. It suggests we continue to take personal inventory and to continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. This is four through nine work. A book uses words like vigorously, commenced, at once, now, next, all words that imply action. My book tells me I vigorously commenced two action words, this way of living, more action. As I cleaned up the past, I've entered the world of the spirit. My next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. What am I doing currently to grow in understanding and effectiveness? What sort of spiritual books am I working with? Am I being quick to see where religious people are right and making use of the offer?
for? Is a newcomer too new to teach me new tricks? Or become the self-appointed Moses of my group and an expert on alcoholism and drug addiction and, 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 and things and issues and you name it. Come to me about anything I have an answer for you because I'm the grand poobar of my group. And I'm not restless, you're and discontented. God damn it, I'm joyous, happy, and free. Just take a look at me. <laughs> okay. Continue to watch, 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 watch. Uh, aware, turn, observe. This is the actions, words I'm supposed to do throughout my day. How am I doing? Marcus always tells us, how am I doing? And here's how I, it says I continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. It's step, if you look at the questions in 4, 10, and 11, it's the same thing pretty much. How am I doing? Any resentments growing? Fears dictating my day? Amends that I, that I need to clean up right away? And so during my day, what I, I, I just brought up this way. If I have something that, that hooks me, because we'll get a resentment, no matter who we are, it's going to hook you. Some will just fall off and we wear, you know, it just falls off our shoulders. And occasionally, a fear or resentment might hook you at 9 a.m. It could be something silly, but for some reason, it's hooked you. Now, the problem is within me, not them. But it's hooked me nonetheless. And I can wait till tonight when I get home and retire and write the inventory, probably forget about it by them and minimize it away or justify it away, which means the entire day of walking around with poison called resentment. No resentment's acceptable. All are unacceptable. And at 9 a.m., I have this wonderful little grudge going on, but I'm going to just wait till later, and I don't realize that throughout my day, this is dictating thought, word, and deed. So what I do, and it's just the way I was brought up, is if I have a moment to write an inventory, I will. I always put pen to paper, but the first move is we turn to God. And that's what my step 10 tells me. It says, um, when these crop up, what crops up? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When they crop up, assuming that they are, and they are, first move I make, it says, we, we ask God at once to remove them. At once, turn to God. Uh, our book says we turn all things into the Father of light. Everything goes through the boss. Everything. Not for me to think I have some sort of great power to work on a resentment. First thing I do is, okay, God, and I make a prayer as to what's going on within me. It'll also give me some clarity. If for some reason I'm still hooked, and I've been hooked even after prayer, the next move I make is I'll discuss it with someone immediately. And the way I was brought up in this thing is I have the sponsor at the top if you will, and two immediately, guys, just like our triangle. And we give each other spiritual consent, which is a spiritual law of consent. So let's use Scott. Hey, Scott, can you be one of my immediately guys? Meaning, if I can't get a hold of my sponsor, Mickey, I will say, Scott, I'm going to call you when I get hooked once in a while. I'm going to share an inventory with you. Rip the cover off the ball for me, please. I need truth. There's, I'd rather be accused of telling the truth than be accused of telling a lie. There's no substitute for truth. So he'll say yes. So I can't get someone, and I'll say, hey, this is what happened about 15 minutes ago. I haven't immediately. Go. And then we'll talk about that. I might show up with him after writing some quick four-column inventory. Prayer, it's still there. Now, what's really going on is my refusal to see truth and my refusal to let this thing go. Why? Because I want, I want some satisfaction. I want to expose that person for what they just did. I want to be right and let everyone know how wrong they were for what they did. That's not very spiritual. That's self-righteous anger. And Scott's going to tell me, here's what's going on, Pete. Here's an example. Just the other day, uh, we got here Friday, so it would be Thursday, I think. Wednesday or Thursday. Um, I went to the store, and um, I run into a co-worker. And uh, we're just having a couple of laughs, some small talk. And he says to me, when a sentence starts like this, by the way, you know what I heard? It's probably not true. <laughs> or it's been greatly embellished. This is a guy who now wants to, you know what I heard on the QT, why are you telling me? This is a gossip guy. I, okay. So like an idiot, I listen, because it involved me. And the gossip was about me, so I'm what, 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 what? And um, he's telling me some things that were probably 
not true and or greatly embellished. And what he was saying was really kind of ugly. And uh, it had to do with an incident that happened about three weeks ago where a young fella hung himself, was uh, suffering from addiction. And um, I didn't sleep right for about a week over this one, watching a, you know, knowing a 24-year-old hung himself because he couldn't do this, couldn't do life. And uh, the comments he gave me were cheap and uncaring and not very kind. And um, I got back in my car when I, as I drove away, I says, what did he just say to me? You know what I mean? And I'm replaying the whole thing. I'm saying, what was he thinking? What? And here we go. So I drive up to work, and I'm, I, I take out my rosary beads. I make a prayer, and I surrender this thing. But it's got me. So there's a gentleman at work, and, and uh, one of my elders, an old-timer, just a, a wonderful man. And uh, Mary and I were doing some business, and I says to him, I'll call him Joe. I said, Joe, you got a second. I need to share something with you. And he gave me an analogy. Because someone gives you something, it doesn't mean you have to say thank you and accept it. You have a right to refuse what people give you. He says, but you didn't. You said, thank you for the pain and misery you're giving me. I'll go home now. And he looked at my selfishness and exposed some of my self, uh, self-centeredness and my self-seeking. And now what I was looking to do is get some satisfaction to announce to the world that this guy's spreading some awful bad stuff. And so I wrote inventory at that part. And, um, and I got to, actually, this, was, uh, this wasn't Wednesday. This was Tuesday because I spoke to my sponsor about it on Wednesday. And um, we got to talk about that. So it's, it's Saturday afternoon, and although I'm telling you about it, I've gotten to see some truth within that. And I'm not walking around with this guy's Joe's nonsense. And that's the beauty of God discussing with someone immediately, and some inventory, then my job is to pray for forgiveness. And even Marion shared that with me. Our job is to forgive them for they know not what they do. Even though it sounds like they know what they're doing, but they don't. Especially if it's a non-AA who has a, a view of what we do, but doesn't know what we do. So that was my job. And little by slowly, I start to crawl out of that and it's Saturday afternoon, and I'm just sharing. But as I'm sharing with you, there's no attack, there's no hook anywhere. But I was hooked, which is going to happen. Our book knows that. Our book knows the ego's going to. What was that about me? What? 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 So I discuss with someone immediately, love and talents of others is our code. And so as I go through my day, is how I navigate through my day. This next bit of information can split a room right down the middle, depending on your influence here. I was told a long time ago, it's normal to think about a drink because you're an alcoholic, and that couldn't, that is very, very true. It's normal to think about a drink because you're an alcoholic. That is very true if you are untreated. When we're spiritually fit, my book says that's not going to happen. And watch this. It says we cease fighting anything or anyone, dash, even alcohol. Now, when I got here, it was always about alcohol and fighting everything and everyone. Now, alcohol is almost an afterthought. I've been placed, about to be placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected in this world of the spirit. This is a place I go from knowing uh, to a place of unknown. Everything's very tangible in a sense in one through nine to some degree. I step into the world of the spirit. This is something, a new territory. Everything's being experienced for the first time. I'm not working with the mind anymore. I'm working in the spiritual realm. Everything gets turned upside down here. Up is down, down is up, right is left and vice versa. This is God's deal. And to work with these sort of principles, I can't, I can't do 10 and 11 with, 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 with the mind with proper thinking, processing feelings. It doesn't even exist here. This only could be done with an awakened spirit, which is awakened by now. 
We've had to, we're, we're, it's going to tell us we've had the spiritual experience. 11 is about taking experience and growing with it, and 12 is about giving it all away. It tells me we cease fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. I gave you guys a little talk this morning on step two, on getting to sanity, wholeness of mind, truth, and God, where this mind, when we're in a place of, of truth, is not telling me or trying to tempt me to drink anymore. That's an arrival. Or go on a spree anymore. I've been given truth, uh, uh, an awakened spirit. That was the goal. Here I am in 10. It has been delivered. It says sanity has been returned. I'm operating from a, a godly place and not a me place. I'm no longer a slave to the mind here, but a servant to him. It says, we cease fighting anything, any, anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. I will seldom be interested in the very thing that consume me, liquor. Me, I was consumed with me. I will seldom be interested in that. Now, our book, he was brilliant, because if he would say, you will never be interested, and we were, the book would be a lie. It book is controversial enough in some AA halls. He knew who he was writing to. What do you mean never? You know how we are. <laughs> if tempted, big word, small, uh, small word, big meaning, if tempted, I will recoil from it as from a hot flame. I react, watch this, sanely and normally, and I find that this has happened automatically. So much for think it through, play the tape to the end, keep it green, remember where you come from. That's all exercises of a very sick, broken mind, which is not going to take me to that place of pain and misery. It's going to pretty up a junkyard. This says you don't need the mind here. You don't need to think. You don't need to remember where you come from. God's going to deliver this gift to you, to me to an awakening of the spirit. That power that we experience in 10 and 11, that kind of grace, that kind of truth, that flame was always there. Just covered up by me and my isms. Hmm? They're all removed now. And what I experience is that which has been already pre always present, God. Never left. It can't be separate from that which I already am. But the less of me, more God. More of me, less God. And the discipline of this work, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. I ride a horse of discipline. We will see that a new attitude has been about, toward liquor has been given us. Without any thought or effort on my part, this is the miracle of it. I'm not fighting it. I'm not avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I haven't even sworn the stuff off. Watch this. Instead, the problem has been removed. And then they go on to say, it doesn't exist. I am now recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So according to my book, if I'm spiritually fit, I shouldn't be thinking about drinking. If I'm spiritually fit, how fit am I? I'm not thinking about some other things that aren't so spiritual. Discipline is the horse we ride, and there's a tremendous amount of freedom here. Huh? Recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. All I have to do is follow the instructions and the spiritual fitness. Now, the same way we go forwards through the work and I get to a place called recovered, it doesn't mean I own recovered. It doesn't mean I own the world of the spirit. Because the way I went forwards through the work, I can start to rest on my laurels, which my book is about to warn me, and start to go backwards through the work and little by slowly start to unravel where there is no meditation life, there is no or very little prayer life. I pray on the way to work in my car. Good for you. That reminds me, and I, I hope I'm not making anyone uncomfortable, but uh, maybe I am hoping to make someone uncomfortable. <laughs> That's like... I'm sitting down talking to, say, Keith, and I'm telling Keith, Keith, uh, I need help with this thing. I'm, I'm struggling with this. And he's on his phone, and he's texting. He's going, oh, yeah? Well, one second, okay? Let me just get this through. Uh, oh, gee, I'm sorry you got six months to live. <laughs> She's leaving it? Wow. I'm, pray about it. God will take care of it. And he goes about his business. You know folks who do that? We do it in AA meetings. Ever see the catcher sitting in a meeting and texting away? playing video games while you're pouring your heart out. Right? 
That's what we do with God. When we, when we are only, I mean, I pray in my car on my way to work. I talk to God. When I'm getting dressed, I talk to God. Right? When I'm meeting, I talk to God. You know, when I'm doing stuff at work, I'm talking to God. But the prayer that we're talking about in this book is a little different. It's about this dialogue, this communication, this attention to God. I should not be doing anything else. It must be the most, for me, it is the most important event of my day. And when I'm driving to work, and that is my prayer. Listen, if you get to pray, pray any time. But if I have a life of discipline, then I'm not driving to work, and that is my first conscious contact with God in the morning after I've been up for a half hour, and I'm too lazy to get up 20 minutes earlier. And when I'm doing my first prayer with God, and I'm behind a wheel, that is the same thing as you pouring your heart out, and the person listening is texting or on the phone getting a little piece here and a little piece there. How dare I show up to him with other stuff going on when he's the one who's given me another day of sobriety and pumping air through my, through my lungs. So I navigate through the day that way and I get to experience getting recovered. And as we talk about step, step 11, we step into step 11 in growing and understanding effectiveness. It has brought me back through inventory to, back to my religious community. I just want to spend a second on that and be very mindful not to break a tradition. Most of us talk about a God of our own understanding. Great. We all have our own vision or idea what this God looks like. And our book says, be quick to see where religious people are right, but most of us do it from a great distance. We'd rather get a book from Barnes and Nobles than to go to the community that that, that that author got the information from, a synagogue, a church, a chapel, whatever it is, because I have problems with religion. I did it. I believe in God. I believe in the carpenter, but religion, I, you know, the biggest pompous, arrogant comment I can make, because here's what goes on. I, 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 we all have our religions. When we come into AA and it becomes our religion. But we pray to this God in our own little religious leanings. Right? And this God gives us a day sobriety, a day at a time. Gives us some health a day at a time. Overcomes some obstacles a day at a time. We surrender, please God, take this pain away and eventually it goes away. Take care of my children and all these things. And we keep coming to AA. We keep walking, talking about this prayer and meditation, this God. I love my God. I love my God. I love my God. Not once do many of us visit his house. It's like me feeding you. You're homeless. And I feed you and clothe you and bring you into my house and give you a place to stay, etc., and you get, I nurse you back to health, and you get on your feet, and I make sure you're okay for the remainder of your day. And one day I give you a call and say, can you come to my house to visit? I'm having a little get-together. And you say, I can't make it. And I say, okay, how about next week? You say, nah, I can't make it. How about the phone? No, I don't like the people who hang out with you. And you never show up. What a lack of gratitude. So as I'm talking about prayer and meditation and growing and understanding and effectiveness and this loving and caring God who literally breathes life into me and breathes sobriety into me, but I can't walk into his house, whatever religion we are, once a week and just say, thank you, I'm going to hang out in your house for an hour. You come into my house, it's called AA, seven days a week. At any time, you're there, 6 in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning meeting, 1 o'clock in the afternoon meeting, midnight meeting, candlelight meeting, conference meeting. You're always there where I am in my house. I think I will come to your house for an hour and just hang out and say, I'm here. Sometimes we just have to show up. But how many of us do that? Hmm? And here's what I was told. If I have a problem with my religion, it's easy to do. That's easy to sink your teeth in because we read the headlines. If I have a problem with my religious community, I have the problem with the religious community, me. They don't seem to have a problem with me because every time I walk in, they say, hello, like AA. I have the problem, which means I have the resentment. And since when has a resentment become acceptable for me? 
Yet I'm practicing step 11 and meditating and, and all this other stuff. And through inventory, I had to go back to my church, make amends, and that is one of the bright spots of my life now. So what do I do at step 11? On awakening. Not three hours later after six Red Bulls and a carton of cigarettes. When I was new, there was a gentleman, Vince D. He says, he set me up. The old timers were great for setting us up. He said, um, what do you do in the morning? I said, well, get up. Uh, I'm, I was new and I, I was just going back to work. And uh, I just get up, a cup of coffee, um, maybe eat a little something, um, shower, get dressed, go pray, um, and head to work. He said, let me get this straight. So you get up, make coffee have something to eat, shower, get dressed, then pray and go to work. So tell me something, he said, Pete. He's by the time you awaken and hit your knees to praise, about an hour has gone by. Who's preventing you from drinking? You? Doesn't our book say on awakening, which means on awakening, because we don't have the luxury of hanging out for a couple of hours before we get that power. We surrender that power to keep me clean and sober. By the way, the longer we wait, that means there's a greater chance of you taking over your life, which means an idiot's about to run it. So on awakening means on awakening, which means I'm up, I pray. And I heard him. My prayer life and meditation life has, thank the good Lord, evolved over years. I don't check in with God because he's not a holiday in. The same thing when I sponsor him and they call me, I'm just checking in. I'm not the holiday in. Do not check in with me. We have an appointment. It's a little different. It's a visit. And so um, I spend some time in the morning with God, and I do some meditation with God. And uh, the thing about meditation, it's as personal as it is. There's some posture and breath things, disciplines we got to follow. But the more I sit in meditation, the more I can silence the mind and the traffic in the head and the chatter of a thousand monkeys just jerping around in there, telling me a million different things and their agendas and their fears. I don't need to listen to any of it. Meditation allows me to touch a very deep place in me, huh? The first time I meditated was for two minutes. I thought it was two years. And I got a hold of, you know, sage and candles and oils and bells and chimes and music. And I thought I was Allah, Buddha, Jesus. I was everything, all in one, reading 24 hours a day, daily reflections, upper room, this book. By the time I got done, a day passed. <laughs> and I got attached to all of this stuff. Then I would get my call. I forgot upper room. Run back, pray, because something bad's going to happen to me. And I became attached to the methodology rather than the power itself. I need to meet God in the raw. With no bells, no chimes, no candles, no say. Those things are, have their effect. There's a place for that. But at some point, I need to meet God, just he and I, alone, with nothing. Because when he calls me home, I'm not taking bells and chimes and sage and all this other, my CDs are coming. No, it's just me and him. And I need to be a servant, a life of a servant, a life of a servant. I don't need to be the first online. I can be the last online, a life of a servant. And that's what this allows me to do. When I get home at night, when I retire at night, whatever time that is, I will have a little office and in a prayer room, kind of like in the same room. I sit at my desk and I, you know, marry and walk in and there I am reading and usually writing just some inventory, anything I missed on a day which I will discuss with my sponsor, the things that have hooked me, the things that haven't hooked me. He usually orchestrates how that talk goes anyway. And I have my inventory that keeps me clean. And so I don't wake up on Tuesday morning wearing Monday, that emotional hangover that 12 and 12 talks about. And we're able to start to wear the world like a loose garment and be a part of this, but not of it. Hmm? What happens to some of us is the first discipline that goes by the board is meditation. There's no meditation. We meditate while we're driving. We meditate. We, we suddenly need the beach to meditate. We never get to the beach, though. Oh, when I get there, I will stop. When I go on vacation, I'm going to be meditating. What happened to the other, you know, the other times? I can meditate on a moving car if we got to, right? Just meditate. Going to a corner, create a space, a sacred place, can create an altar, create your prayer area. Give some dignity to this power who's giving me everything. And so that's what I have at home. 
a little cushion on top of a, a, a I think it's called a zofo on top of a, a, a meditation mat. Have a little altar. A lot of important things, spiritually important things, gifts that you guys have given me that Mary and I have found and put together. Little trinkets, AA stuff, my religion, all of that stuff. Some Eastern stuff to the left of me. Some very valuable things, rosary beads and some other things from my religion. They're all there. And it's an invitation to go in. And I have the sage, I have the candles, I have the oil. But I meet God alone. Not attached to that stuff. And after prayer, uh, after inventory at night, I do some prayer, a little meditation. The whole thing takes a few minutes. Uh, there was a time, uh, I'm running out of time. There was a time where um, I was got attached to, there was almost this little... Subtle competition going around in, in, in my neck of the woods in AA as to who was meditating longer. <laughs> and they made it very uh, clear to everyone. I got up at 3 a.m. this morning to meditate. I got up at 2.30 in the morning. I meditated for half. I meditated for 45 minutes. And it was very beating the chest thing. And God's going, that's, that's not what I need. I hope you're doing good deeds out of that. That's what I really need. And it's summing up best. There was a dear friend of mine who was helping me with some step work. And he says he was in medita meditation. And in the background, he hears his wife calling his name once, twice. The third time, he barked back, God damn it, don't you know I'm meditating? And he realized what is really wrong with this picture. It was self-absorption all over again. I am meditating. Do not disturb me. No, go help your wife. We've got to be careful. We're not worshiping ourself. And we become these self-appointed gods. So I sit as long. I don't even keep a timer anymore. I sit. Some days it's 10 minutes. Some days it's 20 minutes. Some days it's 15 minutes. But the sitting is the waiting, trying to get still and listen. And there's meditation. I've had profound experiences meditation that I didn't plan on happening. I can't make an experience happen. I can't create abundance. I can't create enlightenment. I can't create an aha moment. But I need to plow the field and God will do the growing. So my plowing the field is prayer and meditation, inventory, and keeping a hollow bone. Um, gone back to my religious community, been working with lots of books over the years, uh, which I bring to you. And let, uh, what I mean by bring to you is my experiences with that stuff. And that's just the, 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 the desire God has given me to know him more, um, uh, to practice his principles more, uh, to be an upstanding member of Alcoholics Anonymous more, uh, to hopefully walk with the humble heart uh, I'm not good at that. Sometimes I show up and uh, some integrity, uh, some dignity, some etiquette, um, and to be uh, an agent for this power which I serve. And uh, I, Mary and I both have a life of service. Uh, there's a, uh, something in scripture that says, for me and my house, we worship the Lord. We do. We love our Alcoholics Anonymous. And we were just doing a workshop, her and I, Mary and I, and in uh, ten, uh, outside of Atlanta at this uh, monastery. And these monks dedicate their life. And going in, I know we have a life of service and dedication. And we love our God. And we love our AA. And I'm a around these men and I'm saying this is a completely different level and I was humbled by it that's their calling they don't think about hey you know I dedicated my whole life to silence and that's what they're called to do there's no thought involved with that we get our calling in here to go clean up a drunk who's dirty soil themselves it's not pleasant but we do it Civilians go, how could you do that? We say, how could I not? That's the awakened spirit. Feeding the homeless, feeding the homeless in here, doing charitable work in here and not looking for applause. I don't beat my chest because I do 12-step calls. I don't beat my chest because I'm feeding homeless. I don't beat my chest because I travel around the globe. I don't do that stuff. It's all coming from him, and that's how it's supposed to be. Here's the great thing about awakening. We expect miracles. We don't go, wow, you believe what happened? God's way of being anonymous. No, it's just like, yeah, of course it's a miracle. 
everything is a miracle. Interior prayer. Of course they showed up when they did. Why wouldn't they? Of course he got sober. Why wouldn't he? That's when we're really in that dimension where miracles, well, yeah, they happen. We're not blown away and flawed and telling every, that's what God does, the miracle worker. That's the world of the spirit. That's where we live now. Here's Joe coming in for the 20th time, fall down drunk, and he gets sober. And some folks go, wow, he really got sober. And the sponsor's awake says, yeah, what did you expect? We gave him a big book. He's sponsoring three guys right now. Got a job. What? What? That's what God does. All right. That's all I got. Peace. Thank you, Peter. My name is Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. I want to thank everybody for hanging in. Um, again, I know Peter already thanked everyone, uh, and I want to thank Mike for inviting us here. And for all of you for coming, you know, this is, it's a long day. It's a lot to think about. Um, but, you know, it's, it's at things like this that we can, get, uh, we can get excited about recovery. And we can get more excited about our, our own recovery a lot of the time at things like this. And it, it was at something like this that my whole life changed, you know. Because somebody else was carrying the message, I was able to find people that were going to show me this book, that were going to show me the way through this book and guide me through it. And then this book became the vehicle to the power that I needed, right? So if this book is the vehicle, then I suppose God is the highway. And that's where I'm trying to live my life today. And uh, so what is it that makes... 12-step work for me in my life, you know. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. I mean, what's that mean and how do you make that happen? You know, well, my experience is that the only way for me to carry the message and live these principles and bring them into all my affairs is to be a student. Not to show up to this meeting or any other meeting or any encounter with another alcoholic as, as the teacher, you know, to take that position. Um, because then I might not be able to say, I don't know when you ask me something. You know, I, I get to sponsor many men today. I'll sponsor as many men as I can um, without without ripping off others that are close to me of time and, you know, my responsibilities and such. But, you know, I know guys that sponsor, you know, 20, 30 guys. I don't know how they do that. Um, unless, you know, unless you're retired or maybe you work from home or something like that. But I, I, I don't know how to actually do that. You know, I, I think it's possible to take many, many men through the steps or women. You know, if you're if you're a woman, I believe in um, personally. I believe in sticking with men as far as sponsorship goes, um, only because I think there's something that goes on between men and women, and I think it's supposed to be that way. But I I, I just, from my own personal experience, I don't believe it's it's up to me to take to to sponsor women. Um, but anyway. I just do what my sponsor did with me, you know. What he did was he, I asked him to sponsor me. He thought about it. He prayed about it. Then he let me know, and he said, yes, he would sponsor me. And then he gave me a time. He gave me a time to call him. And that time was 5 o'clock on Friday. Now we've since changed to 6.15 on Friday night. But what he did was he was going to dedicate an hour of his day to me once a week and we would pick up this book on either end of the phone and he would take me through the book starting from the doctor's opinion we worked our way through that book and that's how we built our relationship and now I could call him anytime I needed to during the week if suddenly showed up and you know it's going to show up I don't mean suddenly in the form of a drink 
I mean when these things crop up. Something that I need to get off my chest. Something I need to respond to immediately. And also I was told to get some immediately guys. And I have a handful of men in the area. Because, you know, with my sponsor, I have a two-hour time difference. So if it's 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm on the job site and I'm running into it, you know, I, I don't want to be calling Colorado and hit, it's 6 a.m. and I'm like, hey, man, I need you. You know, it's, it, I'm not going to do that. But I have guys in the same area, you know, Eastern Standard Time, that I can call and I can run something by them. You know, and here's the thing. In the greater metropolitan Philadelphia area, in Philadelphia you have a couple of million folks. And then during any given workday you have an influx of more people. Not sure what the number is, but I know in the greater Philadelphia area, you have about 5 million human beings. And they all have their ideas of how they want their day to go to, right? So I get to live in the world of the spirit amongst all of that. I was, always, I was told for the past seven years that God works in chaos, and I didn't, I didn't know what that meant until I started to really get into... Uh, until I started to really get into spirituality, like the essence of spirituality. What does it mean to live a spiritual life? And it was put to me that spirituality is the capacity to be invisible. And I thought, well, invisible, how am I going to carry the message if nobody knows? And it was, I missed it. I missed that, what it was saying. The invisible is that I, it's not me. My ego is not, at, I'm not the AA guy. I can scream this from the rooftops. I can be a man whose deportment screams that I have an answer, but I'm not screaming at you. It's not coming from a place of look at me. It's coming from a place of doing this work as a humble student, showing up to my home group and carrying the message, sharing my experience. Not as a look what I did, but as a look what God can do for us. I have a, a number of sponsees, men that I work with, that say, I, I just can't find any sponsees. And I'm thinking, I don't understand that. When I went through this work, the first and only time I ever went through this work, you know, I bounced in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for 22 years before I ever picked up a big book and went through to work with my sponsor. But when I came around to, and what, what is it that makes step 12 so wonderful is one through 11. That's what makes it all possible. And having had an experience with that, I showed up to a meeting and six weeks earlier, I was a guy who wanted to choke her and put my brains on the wall. Six weeks later, I have a prayer life. I have a meditation life. I know what it's like to do inventory and now I'm starting to watch out. I'm starting to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these things crop up, not if, but when, I'm responding to them. And what the, it, it, it's like, it's like a, a new suit that I didn't go out and buy. It was just placed on me. And other people could see that at meetings. Other people could see that at my home group. And I'm carrying a message that I really wasn't interested in when I showed up here. And it's just happening. It's just flowing through me like... I'm sharing things I didn't, I never expected to share and wouldn't have done eight weeks before. I wouldn't have done it. And then I have people approach me saying, hey man, like what happened to you? <laughs> Who's this guy? You know what I mean? And perhaps they weren't too sure about this new Scott that showed up, but I was made new and it couldn't be hidden. It couldn't be made invisible. Do you get what I'm saying? So the capacity to be invisible, it's really the ability to be filled up. Because when, you, when you're shining, you can't, it's not invisible. But when it's not coming from the ego and the here, look at me, your actions, our actions are going to scream volumes about what it is we're doing in our lives. And we shine. And other alcoholics, we see it. They see it. Even non-alcoholics. This is about all our affairs. I've been able to be a better employer. I've been able to be a better employee. My business is all about building relationships with homeowners, with historical preservationists, with architects, with other contractors, with suppliers, 
with all sorts of artisans. I am not a relationship guy when I showed up to this work. You know, I've been molded into one, and it's like when a sword maker is creating a beautiful sword, that iron is in the fire, and you take it out and you pound it, and you pound it and you fold it and you stick it back in that fire. And that's how my experience has been, pounded out. Pound it out like a piece of steel. And that's what it took. And I don't know what it takes for you, but that's what it took for me. And I get to share that with somebody. And not from a here, you need to do, and it needs to look like me, and bip bip, and all this great, like, AA superstar stuff. But it's, it's, I get to share that with somebody. We meet on that common ground. You know, I know what it's like to work with sculptors. And I watch a sculptor take a lump of clay... A square block of clay, and first we got to heat it up. We got to heat that clay up. You know, if I was a piece of clay, I'd get a little squirmy. And then you got to pound that clay, and you got to unfold that clay, and you got to get that clay malleable. I think that's the right word. Is that the right word? Sounds good anyway. But you got to get that clay into a position to manipulate it, to be altered, to be made new. And then it turns into something beautiful. And then I make a mold of that clay, and I can reproduce it. I can reproduce the, that, that positive image as many times as I want. And now when God molds us into that beautiful piece of clay, and we have the experience, we're able to reproduce that. And it may look a little different in each and every one of us, but we're able to reproduce the power of God in the beauty that we become. And that gets to spread. And we have no idea what that's going to look like. But I know it's going to be good. And I know it's going to be better than anything I showed up with here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, today, and I'll tell you what, I limited the, the, the number of men that I take on for sponsorship. I get asked to sponsor, and, you know, currently I, I don't have... The time, I mean, I might be able to take someone through the steps, but to actually sponsor somebody effectively, I need to, I need to be able to uh, commit to a weekly appointment. I just don't have it right now. But it's not because I'm afraid of inconvenience. I know all about inconvenience. And um, carrying this message can oftentimes be inconvenient. It's hard to not listen to that and take it the wrong way for some of us. What I mean is sponsoring other men is going to interfere with your nap time. Sponsoring other men and women, women, I should have said that from the start, but I didn't. Here we go. Sponsoring other men and women is going to interfere with nap time. It's going to interfere with when you usually eat dinner, I would imagine. Or it might interfere with your lunch break because you got to squeeze somebody in for a noon appointment. Carrying this message is certainly going to interfere with your weekend on the beach. You know, I'm sure the weather's beautiful in Florida right now. Pete would love to be on the beach, but he's here carrying the message. I wouldn't mind making it down to the shore. I haven't been to the beach once this whole summer. You know, but here we are today, and I'm loving every minute of it. I do it for fun and for free. And I, I will go to any lengths to recover from the hopelessness of alcoholism so that I can share it with the next alcoholic. But I can do it, and we get to live our normal lives in a very extraordinary way. It, it, I'd said this numerous times today that I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous to have a spiritual awakening. I just didn't. But I found out without one, I was going to die. I, that's my primal um, engine is that I practice these principles to the best of my ability in all of my affairs because I know without them in my life, I'm going to die. But having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps and feeling that, it's like if I'm not shouting this from the rooftops, if I haven't experienced that overwhelming desire to give it away, Perhaps I have not 
had the awakening that this book is promising me. Because I didn't come here to shout anything from any rooftops. I really didn't. I just came to Alcoholics Anonymous because life hurt a little too much. And I thought, you know, man, if I can just get things to where I feel comfortable in my life, and I'll be okay. And the only way I was ever going to be okay is to have moments of (laughs) severe uncomfortability, drastic and revolutionary proposals. Have my, has my life been drastically and revolutionary, revolutionary? Have I been drastically revolutionized? That's what I wanted to say, you know, and how drastically have I been revolutionized? The, I had, it cost me everything, everything that I showed up with I had to be willing to let go. And then things I wasn't, I, I learned along the way that I had to let go of. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me something far greater than, uh, than the little itty bitty crumbs that I was going to settle for and that I was settling for when I got here. You know, I thought, let me get a girlfriend and a and a job and a pocket full of money and, uh, you know, some new duds, a nice apartment down in Rittenhouse Square and a new Cadillac, and I'm cool. And I went out and I started to get all that stuff, man, and, and I, my life was impossible. And I don't, I don't live that way today. You can ask anybody that spends time with me how I live today. I have no, I have no secrets like that. You can ask my girlfriend what kind of a boyfriend I am. You can go ask my son what kind of a father I am. You can ask my brother, what kind of a brother I am. You can ask any one of my clients what kind of a guy I am, and they'll tell you. And, and I didn't have to threaten them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And let them know you were coming. But it, it's just, it's, I get to live a transparent life of invitation today. You know, I don't have to intrude on you in order to share this message. I, I get invited to places I never thought I'd be interested in going. And you know what? Sometimes carrying a message can be a little bit of inconvenience to some of my creature comforts and the places I want to, you know what I mean? I want to kind of dig in and stay there. And um, you can't, I cannot change, I cannot stop the flow of change in my life. If I give my life to this power called God, then I I really don't get to choose in the way in which he's going to change my life. And my life is going to unfold and change in the world of the spirit according to the way God wants it to. Or I get in there and I try to get it, you know, and now, now once again, I want to put God to work for me. You know, I just want to thank everyone here for sticking it out and staying and God bless. Peace. All right, uh, I'm Mike. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, let's give another round of applause for Peter and Scott for coming out. It's been an awesome weekend.